Good morning. Good to see you. Thanks for being here. My name is Alan. Uh, if we haven't met, I'd love to meet you, make myself available to you. If you're watching online, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we are in part five of our fall series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. If this is your first time coming, you're almost like walking into the middle of a conversation. So I encourage you, if you have time, to go back and catch up on some of these uh, messages. I know that many of you have mentioned how much of a blessing it has been to you, and it has been to me as well. And today we're doing something a little different, as you can see on the stage. Uh, but before we get to that, I want to set context to where we're at. We're kind of picking up last week's message and continuing it uh, this morning. You guys know that in our country, the elections are coming up. And um, there's a lot of new candidates that are stepping forward. And we've even seen some of the debates that are happening on the national stage. And now imagine with me, one of these new candidates goes up on stage and says, under my administration as the new president of the United States, we as a country are going to do less. We're gonna grow less. We're not gonna make as much of an impact that we used to make. There's no forward movement. Progress is overrated. We're just gonna stay right where we're at. Most of us, if not all of us, would laugh at them and they would never be invited back to a debate stage because the culture that we live in, the Western culture, is a culture that places utmost priority on being first, being the best, and progressing forward. We'd have a hard time then accepting that progress and forward moment, momentum are not essential and are an essential part of even being a human being. And progress, some would say, is an unstoppable force of the culture that we find ourselves in. It's why when babies are born, we take our children in and the doctor gives you kind of a progress report or a growth chart, they call it. They say your child is in the seventh percentile when it comes to height and 70th percentile when it comes to weight. I'm like, this is a subtle way of saying my baby is short and fat, but that's what they do. It's why every year, they push new devices and said, this is the newest, latest device that you need to buy. Imagine Apple comes out and says, this year we're releasing something, not that you've never seen before, but you've actually seen before like 20 years ago. It's a phone that flips open, there's no apps or cameras or Spotify, all it does is make calls and texts and it takes you a lot longer than you used to, but that's what we're giving you. No one would buy it. Why? We pride ourselves and center ourselves on a culture that progresses beyond yesterday and moves forward. This even creeps into churches at times. Last week I came up and I celebrated that our church has grown 30% in the last year. And I imagine in a year I came up and said, hey, we as a church have declined over 50%. You would look at me and say, maybe the ship is about to crash. I should jump before the crash happens. We're wired as human beings to want, to need, to seek progress and impact. Now you're asking me, Alan, what is wrong with progress and growth? Now here's what I want to propose to you this morning. While there is nothing inherently wrong or sinful about the Western perspective that we have on progress and growth, our obsession with it has distorted our ability to understand progress and impact and growth from a biblical perspective. The idol of progress and growth has made us unable to grow out of the losses that we face in life. So when we face losses in life, it feels abnormal. Because we're used to moving forward. So much so that we don't even realize that you and I, we face losses on a daily basis. You just lost a few seconds of your life. A few more seconds. And every second that you lose, you also you lose your youthfulness. It's one of the things that we lose. We lose our physical health and youthfulness. I read this uh, interview recently with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he said, you know, Arnold is known to have one of the greatest physiques, if you will, of all time. And Arnold is now looking at his body 50 years later, and he says, I hate what I'm looking at. 
I don't like what I'm seeing. My body can't do what it used to do. We, use, we lose youthfulness in our physical health and life. Some of us, we lose dreams and expectations. This is not the life that I expected to have. These are not the kids I expected to have. This is not the job that I expected to have. This is not the family I expected to have. This is not the husband that I expected to have. Whatever it may be, we lose dreams and expectations. Some of us, we lose influence. We have influence over our kids now, but as they grow and develop and get stronger, at some point, they begin to move through their lives, and our influence and power decreases over their lives. If you're a parent, you'll age. you lose influence. Someone else will become your caretaker. We face loss on a daily basis, and because we're accustomed to growth and gain and forward movement and impact, we don't know how to process loss. Now, our theme image for this series has been the iceberg. And if you remember, I said that only 10% of the iceberg is visible above the surface. But beneath the iceberg lies 90% of the remaining iceberg. And for many of us, beneath the 90%, we find losses that we've hidden. Tragedy that we face. Feelings that we've had, and these are losses that we have not addressed. These are losses that we have not surrendered to God. They have not been dealt with with God. And depending on your culture or family of origin, you dealt with losses in different ways. Take, for example, funerals. Now, I've shared this before. I grew up in the South Indian culture, and in Indian culture, you don't show a lot of emotions. Uh, in fact, like sometimes we just nod, and uh, sometimes we don't, hang, we don't say bye when we hang up. Sometimes we don't hug. That's kind of how it is to be Indian. But I've seen that in funerals, I've seen widows slam their fists on the coffin and wail and scream to the heavens, a burst of emotion that I've never seen before. So when it comes to funerals, there's this extreme view of it and of, of grieving to the point where it's kind of like an emotional death sentence. They stay in that state for the rest of their lives. On the other hand, from a West, Western perspective, funerals might be looked at in a very pragmatic way. It's very casual. Well, this person's not even here. Why are we wasting time and money putting this together? Do they even want this? Probably not. Like, can we just move on with our lives? There's these two extremes when it comes to loss and grief. And depending on how you grew up and your family of origin, you have experienced loss in different ways. We all process it differently. Last week, we looked at the life of Job. And Job, he lost everything that he had, his kids, his possessions, his resources, everything. And for many of us, when we lose our dreams, our influence, our health, our loved ones, it begins to impact our our ability to continue to walk forward with God. Because these losses that we face cause us to re-examine our faith. And that's what we talked about last week. And I showed this graph to you last week of the different stages of faith that we face in life. And I'll recap it for you real quick. But our initial three phases, discovering Jesus, meeting Jesus, you find purpose. And there's this excitement around your faith. And then you go on to become an apprentice of Jesus where you're absorbing and learning. And you're just wanting to be a Christian right away. And so you do everything you can. And then you transform, uh, transform into doing for Jesus. So out of the inward experience that you had, you began to attend and read and check off spiritual tasks. But at some point, we talked about this last week, at some point in our spiritual walk with God in our life, all of us are bound to hit this wall. And this wall causes us to re-examine our faith. This wall causes us to ask questions to God. It hinders our ability to continue to progress forward with God. So we say things like, God, I felt like you told me to start this business, but it's not going so well if I believe as much anymore. God, why would you take away my father when we just rekindled our relationship? God, why would you affect my health as a father of young kids? God, why is nothing going right for me? We begin to ask these questions when we hit the wall. 
The walls don't come at the mountaintop, they happen at the valley. When things are going well, when our health and our finances and our kids and our relationships and our businesses and our careers, everything's going well, we don't hit a wall, but when things start to hit us differently, when we face the losses in life, we begin to view it differently. In Job, we found out that over 35 chapters of the book of Job is Job processing his loss with God. We don't know that the 35 chapters was 35 days, 35 months, 35 years. All we know is that there was this period of wrestling and asking God difficult questions. And Job ultimately journeys through that wall and goes on to other stages of his life of beginning to let go and surrender and ultimately living a life that's transformed. And this morning, I want to invite forward a couple, and we're going to hear their story of how they hit a wall in life and how they journeyed through it with God. So can we give it a, a round welcome and applause for Alex and Leilani Barrera. Let's give it up for them. Now, Alex, um, before we um, talked earlier this week, told me that he was going to wear a Cowboys jersey, and I'm glad that he didn't wear it. So thank you, Alex, for not doing that this morning. These guys have been a part of our church for many years. In fact, I've been in a group with them in the past, and uh, we love them as a couple, and I'm so glad that God has brought them here and um, for their courage and just stepping up to share their story this morning. So before we dive in, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the wall that you guys hit and how God uh, brought you and is continually bringing you through it. Tell us a little bit about yourselves, your names, uh, your kids, your family. Tell us a little bit. Um, we've been married for f uh, 15 and a half years, and we have four kids. Um, 10, 9, 2 and a half, and 11 months old, and we've been part of Outer West since the beginning. Four kids, it's a lot. And then two, 10, 9, and then two toddlers, two young kids too. Yeah, we babies. started all over. Yeah, yeah you started all over. <laughs> yeah. So we've been talking about hitting a wall, and it's kind of a crisis in life that causes many of us to re-examine our faith or to begin to ask some difficult questions. What was that wall for you guys? Well, to start off... Um, it started off about four years ago, kind of in those four years got us to where our wall was, but um, four years ago, Alex began um, to have mobility issues with his body. Started with his shoulders, um, his arms wouldn't swing when he would walk, he had um, bad gait in his walking, and his um, speech would, would, would mumble a lot, which are signs of, of Parkinson's. Um, and so we went, to many specialists, many doctors. He's had an x-ray on like every part of his body. <laughs> um, and it actually led Alex to really fall into depression and have a lot of anxiety because Alex was actually known for his physical strength. That's who Alex was. Um, and so um, we got to a place where um, Oh, I don't want to lose my train of thought. Oh, yeah, that's right. Thank you. We got to a place where it was our breaking point, and it was actually Easter of 2022, and it was a really bad um, day for Alex. His walking was terrible. It took him about 30 minutes to get out of the building, and I remember leaving that day feeling like, no, we are going to find out what's going on. This is not okay. Like, he was hurting so badly inside. I was hurting so badly inside. And our children were just so confused because they didn't know what was happening to their daddy. 
So from that day forward, I feel like God started to move. Um, we did go to a few more specialists. Um, even though Alex didn't want to, he was tired of going to doctors, but I made the appointments anyways, and I made him go. Um, and after a few more specialists that would pass us by, we finally came to a doctor who would officially diagnose Alex with Parkinson's disease. Um, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was actually a year ago this past week on October 4th. He was going to have a DAT scan, and a DAT scan measures the dopamine in your brain. And if your dopamine is depleted, it means you have Parkinson's. So I remember we had an appointment at 2 o'clock that afternoon, but the doctor called us at 7 in the morning that morning. So we thought, wow, like, the, the results have to be negative. Why would she call us now instead of us coming at 2 o'clock? Maybe she didn't want to waste our time, but that wasn't the case. She proceeded to tell us everything we already knew about the Parkinson's test, the DAT scan, and she told us that um, the test was positive and there was depletion of dopamine in your brain. That was, <laughs> that was something really hard, hard to swallow because we were a couple of weeks away from our fourth baby being born and a piece of me just hoped that something miraculous would happen and maybe he would get better. Maybe he would be able to help me. I said a word that I can't repeat here on stage, but it was just a word out of pure panic and scaredness. I remember Alex looking and dazing into the ceiling and he asked the doctor, so what does this mean for my future? And she told him, well, this is a progressing disease. You're only gonna get worse. And we can find a treatment plan for you to help with your symptoms, but that will be trial and error. It can take six months to a year. And so that's when we hit our wall. Thank you all for sharing that. I, I think one of the things about your story that stands out is Alex, your age. And I, I read a stat that said less than 2% of people out of a million folks that are diagnosed with Parkinson's uh, are diagnosed before the age of 40, so less than 2% out of a million. Uh, what was it like for you uh, hearing about this diagnosis? The uh, first reaction was, man, I sure, mm -hmm. sure am lucky. Got some great odds here. Um, how could God do this to me? Why, why did God do this to me? Well, you know, my parents raised me right. I mean, I was an Eagle Scout. I always do the right things. I mean, I still sin and fall short of the glory of God, but how and why did they get the wrong scan? Did they get the wrong patient? Was the, was the machine wrong? Uh, just a lot of hurt, questioning God, a lot of crying out, and embarrassed for my children that they're going to have to be pushing me around, doing things for me that I should be doing for them, not being able to take care of my wife and my newborn baby, a lot of, a lot of dad guilt and husband guilt. Um, we've talked about loss happens in different ways. There's physical health, but there's also losses. There's different layers to loss, right? So for you guys, as you hit this wall, what are some of the losses that you guys face? I felt? You know, a piece of me kind of feels like I lost my tag team partner because Alex and I were always in each other's heads and we got things done quick. We were a good team. But the physical aspect, we still are a good team, it's just the physical aspect of that is not there. And so things um, 
began to to fall apart as far as um, you know the duties that we had in our house. Um, you know, the typical stuff, laundry, dishes, taking out the trash, taking care of the dogs, me with my salon business. There was just a lot of things that kind of took the back burner. And I was used to having somebody help me to get those things done. And I kind of feel like I lost, I lost my partner to help me. And a piece of us also feels like our children were losing a piece of their childhood because they had to do more than your average nine and 10 year old had to do um, for their family. Alex, was there anything for you as far as loss that you felt? Other than the physical issues, um, just loss of feeling like I was a dad still. Um, how could I raise my children? How could I show them how to do basic things in life? How could I take care of my newborn baby? Uh, lost dreams, lost career advancements. So um, a lot of times we hit these walls and face losses in life, and the tendency is to run away from the wall. You guys, knowing your story, and you guys for the past few years, have journeyed through the wall with God. And so what, was that, what has that journey been like with God? Well, it sounds kind of crazy, but it's actually been a beautiful experience. For starters, we don't believe that our children would have the faith that they have today. They've learned what empathy is, and we feel like that is a wonderful thing to learn. Um, There has been blessings upon blessings. I mean, sometimes our cups were overflowing that we would actually laugh because it was kind of comical of God to just blow up, throw up all these blessings. And um, he would bless us at the right time and we would just be in awe of his goodness. One of the things you mentioned was the community aspect and people surrounding Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Alex is a very private person, extremely, well, he was an extremely private person with his life. But when we decided to open up with our story and go public, it was like the floodgates of community just came and poured all over us. We had family and friends doing our grocery shopping for us, helping take care of the kids. I mean, you name it, they were doing it, and they just basically carried us, and that has been And they're still carrying us, and that has been just a godsend for us. And as far as your relationship with God, how has that grown through this process of, you know, facing the crisis? How has God revealed himself to you, you both? Well, for starters, we don't believe that our children have lost a piece of their childhood. Um, like, I, I think, did I say that already? I don't feel like that they've lost their childhood. I feel like they've grown their faith. They're just such strong individuals, and... There's things that they're learning that I don't think they would have learned before. Um, Elena, she's learned the love of cooking. Alex stands behind her. He loves to cook too. And he stands behind her and tells her exactly what to do and she does exactly what he says. And then she's real proud when we eat dinner that she made dinner. You know, and Antonio, he's grown to be just such a humble and sweet and kind, just little helper. He never asks, he just does. Um, and our and our two and a half year old, oh my gosh, 
He just, he always wants to take care of daddy and make sure that he's taken care of, he's included, he's fed. Those are the beautiful things that have come from this. We've grown relationships with, with people that are relationships that are gonna last us forever. God literally sent his army to find us and help us through our community. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, there seems to be a sense of purpose that's kind of been formed through the, some of the, the wall, the crisis that you hit. And that's going back to that life stage, wall, faith, uh, stages of faith wall, that's kind of that next step and it feels like you guys are there. But there's this balance, right? Because you guys have journeyed through the wall, maybe surrendered to God and kind of living out of the overflow of that. But then the reality of, the losses and the physical losses. So what, what is it like having faith in God for you guys, but yet waiting to see how God reveals himself to you through the diagnosis that you had? What does that waiting look like? It's a day-to-day uh, walk, walk with God. We don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has its own worries. You know, it says when you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. And we stand firm on our faith and believe in that. Um, speaking medically, this disease, disease should progress, but that's God's call, not the doctor's call. The one thing that has progressed is my faith and walk with Jesus Christ. It has grown stronger than it ever has in my whole entire life, and I thank God for that, oddly enough, for the blessings that he's given me and my family. What about for you, Leilani? What has that waiting been like for you? It's been... It's been, I forget what I was saying before. Yeah, I thought I said that already. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Shared a little bit about how losses have actually, you view them as gain and oh, yeah. out of scripture. It's crazy how God can turn what seems so terrible into something so beautiful. We, we were talking earlier about how if it wasn't for these things, we don't think that we would have that relationship and and Alex, it, hit, it hurt him a lot not to be able to do the physical things that your average father can do with their children. But he's realized that teaching his children about Jesus and walking in faith by example is more valuable to us now than the physical aspects. Well, thank you guys so much. Can we give it up for the Barreras and for sharing the story? I know I get a text from Alex. Um, before I even read it, I know it's from Alex. If I know that the Cowboys have won, then I get an automatic text from him bragging about it. It's not easy being up here, just being on the stage in front of you guys, but also being vulnerable about their stories. So can we give it up for them one more time? Band, you guys can come on up. Uh, I got a few minutes left this morning. and um, One of the things that I love uh, that Leilani shared and Alex shared is that um, the physical loss um, for as a dad, you know, he sees his kids and realizes he may not be able to do the same things he used to, but spiritually he can still lead his kids to Jesus to learn more about Jesus. And there's this shift that almost happens when we journey with God through the wall where the spiritual is so rich in our lives. And I talked last week, one of the symptoms of coming out of the wall is a detachment 
from the things of this world, the patterns of this world, the expectations of this world of moving forward. And at churches, sometimes you hear these words, destiny and purpose. And God has a destiny for you, purpose for you. A lot of times when they say that in churches, it's tied to outward success or goals or health and wellness and whatever it may be. But what we learn when we hit the walls in life in crisis and we journey with God through these walls is that our destiny and our purpose is to ultimately be in a place where you are completely surrendered to the will of God and surrendered to trusting God no matter what life throws at us. And I feel like Alex and Leilani, their story, they've gotten to this place of spiritual maturity that is a difficult place for many to get to because it requires a difficult process of pressing into that wall and journeying with God and asking God difficult questions. Um, there's always this balancing act when it comes to our faith, when it comes to physical health and losses that we face in life. And God taught me a lesson many years ago. I was serving on the prayer team at this revival healing conference. If you don't know what that is, it's, I grew up in a charismatic world and um, they would have these meetings where people would get prayed for if they were sick. And people would drive out, this was in Dallas, from all over the state and other states surrounding Texas. And at the end, there would be this altar time where people would come forward and you receive prayer. And I just remember the altar Full. I mean, there wasn't even space. It was overflowing with people in wheelchairs and crutches. I was assigned as one of the prayer partners in that service. So I find myself praying for this man in a wheelchair. And I laid my hands on him and I prayed for him like I had never prayed before. I spoke scripture over him. I was weeping, praying for about an hour with this one man just praying, almost begging God. I'll go back between begging God and then declaring in faith over this man. And at some point, just kind of broke and I stepped back and the service began to end. The service was over and I was still praying for this man after the service. I just stepped back, went back to my dorm room. And it felt like I took 15 steps backwards in my faith with God begin to ask God, God, I know you can heal this man, but you did it. Wherever he came from, he came here believing himself that you would heal. And here I am praying over him that you would heal. How would you not heal? I felt almost, almost cruel. I almost saw myself in God's perspective looking down at people weeping over healing. know about this. So the next day the conference continues and that morning I was driving to the gym at our school and I saw this woman and I see her, I've seen her, this is my second or third year, I've seen her for many years at the school. Uh, she was in her 80s and she had lived in the school for about 40 years so she lived in some of the staff housing for many years and this woman, she walked with a cane and her back was bent like this and she would just walk like this. And you would see her all around school. And we knew that she used to be a teacher. And I saw her that next day on my way to the gym. So her, her housing was right across from the gym. I said, okay, I see her. And then I go to the service that night, the second night of the service. And this time, I'm not on the prayer team. I want nothing to do with it. I am in the balcony, like all the way in the back, just kind of watching everything that's happening, seeing what God is doing, asking myself, is any of this real? Like, why aren't people here? had that experience from the other night. And I look down and I see the woman 
bent over, she's in the second row. And during prayer time, someone went up to her, just kind of casually laid hands on her and walked away. I still have this memory in my mind. I see this woman beginning to run all over the building. Like her back was straightened out and she's just running. And what God taught me in that moment, the no to the healing, the yes to the healing the next day, is that I can, but on my timing. I can, but according to my will. I can, according to my purpose. And this is this balancing act when it comes to physical health. It's something that my wife and I have wrestled with, with my son Ezra with Down syndrome. I've shared for many years. I begged God when he was in the womb, prayed. And you could say, maybe, Alan, you didn't have enough faith that night, and then that other person did. And you could say, when your child was in the womb, maybe you didn't have enough faith. But I had hundreds of people praying over Ezra. People full of faith, prayer warriors, they would call it churches. Everyone praying over him. He was born with Down syndrome. And God continually reminds me, I can. But healing is not always the way that you think healing is supposed to be. God reminded me, no matter what Ezra is going through and that man that was in the wheelchair 12 years ago, I could heal him. Reality is in 30 years, he'll be six feet under. But because he's put his faith in me, I have done the greater healing, which is the spiritual healing, that not only will he feel better for 30 years, but he will live forever in eternity with complete peace and full healing. And that is what God promises us. And that is what we cling on to when we hit the walls in life, the greater healing, the finished work of Jesus on the cross that says we do not live by and are not defined by the walls and crisis that we hit today, the physical disabilities that you hit today, the crisis that you faced yesterday, but you are defined by your faith in a God who one day will make everything okay. That's what it is to have faith. And I was taught for many years of my life, and maybe you grew up in this culture, where faith is seeing a result right now. Faith is holding on despite what you can see. Faith is holding on despite the healing happening and saying, I still believe in you. See the whole story of Job, he lost everything. And his wife says, turn away from God. Remember what he said, how can we expect good from God, but not trials from God? beauty of our faith in Christ is that we hold on when we hit these walls in life, the crisis in life, and we invite God into it. We journey with him through the wall. And we put off the progress, impact, growth, forward, momentum-shaped culture that tells us that's what success means. That's what faith means. The book of Romans, Paul writes to the Roman church, Put off the old way of thinking. Do not be conformed to the image of this world, the patterns, the ideologies, the thinking, the fashion, but be you transformed. That word is a word where we get the word metamorphosis from, metamorphia. Be you transformed on the inside out by the renewal of your mind. 
to see what God is doing, Paul would continue this type of teaching. I consider my present trials, the burdens that I face, to pale in comparison to the glory that God has for me. Despite what it is I'm going through, I will journey with God. I will hold on knowing that God has done something in me that is greater than what I face today. And that's the call for you and I this morning. Oscar Wilde is a famous poet. He said this, where there is sorrow, there is holy ground. Where there is a wall, it's holy ground. We live in a culture that says loss is terminal. But we serve a God that says, I can make your loss transformative and grow your faith deeper and richer. Do something in you that I never, that you never thought I would do. That's why I love Alex's story when he says, I would never be where I am with God if I didn't go through this experience. Where there is sorrow, there is holy ground. We are pilgrims on a move towards a future kingdom that God has for us, not settlers right here in this place. So as we close our service, Trey's gonna lead us in this song. It's a song that we heard earlier it as well. And I just want you to sit and receive in this moment from this song. Whatever it is that you're going through. Maybe you're not hitting a wall right now, but would you invite God to help you when you inevitably will hit that wall? Share the story of the song about a year ago, but the writer of the song, Horatio Spafford, he writes a song after finding out that his kids and his wife, his kids, he lost everything as they were journeying from America to England on a shipwreck. And as he travels across the sea and the story goes, he stops over the, the site of the shipwreck, he begins to write the song. It is well with my soul. So I'm gonna pray for you. And I wanna invite the prayer team to come up as well. They're gonna be up here at any point the rest of the service during the song, you need prayer. You just want to talk to someone about that wall, that crisis you're hitting. They're here for you. They've been praying for you before you even got here. They'd love to pray for you during the service. But would you invite God into this moment? God, we thank you. We thank you that you're a God who can do some deep transformative work in us despite what we experience in this life. God, this morning we say we are a church that believes you can. We're also a church that surrender to say at your timing. Would you help us, Lord, to embrace that balance and ultimately put our faith and our trust in the greater work that you've done, the future that we await where there is no more tears, there is no more sorrow, there is no more backs going out or hips going out or physical disabilities or losses in life or crises in life. Would you help us to have a future forward, future facing, forward thinking faith, knowing that you are doing something in us greater than we can imagine. But in these moments where we face, in these moments where we grieve, in these moments where we cry, in these moments that we ask difficult questions, would you help us to invite you into that? I pray for those here this morning that are facing loss or can relate to Alex and Leilani's story of grieving, of struggling, of wrestling. That in the meantime, as they wait, they just hold on to you. They just hold on to you. They just hold on to you. Knowing that at some point, get them to a place of full surrender, of beginning to let go, and a transformed perspective on life.
Jesus, you are up to something despite what I feel and see and think right now. Thank you for Jesus and the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That all of us who put our faith in you are redeemed and restored and secure forever. We pray for anyone here this morning that may not know you, that may not have put their faith in you. Right here and right now, would you help them to take that next step? Say, God, I trust in you, Jesus. I believe in what you've done for me. May all of us be able to say, with arms open wide, it is well with my soul. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.